the reading of the scriptures from Genesis 5, reading the entire chapter. I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word here in Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created him, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived uh, 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he had fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Scientific advancements have... uh, created an interest on behalf of many people in uh, their genealogies, uh, where did they come from? Uh, Tools like 23andMe and Ancestry DNA uh, enable people to 
see a measure of that. I don't know if you've ever taken any of those tests. Um, I have certainly uh, thought about it, but for whatever reason, haven't. Nothing wrong with it. Um, afraid that I will learn that um, um, I'm not a uh, true son of the Comanches, who were the great cavalry soldiers of America. So I don't want to dash my hopes. So, I, uh, but maybe someday I will have the courage. But nonetheless. My point is that here in the book of Genesis, uh, Moses is tracing uh, genealogies. And what's important for us to recognize is that there's only two. Just two. There's not, uh, not hundreds and hundreds and thousands upon thousands. Only two. Uh, and they are spiritual genealogies. When we think of genealogy, we're thinking of the physical, that I come from... Uh, Eastern Europe or uh, continent of Africa or both, perhaps. Now, these are spiritual genealogies. Uh, true sons of God or the false uh, sons who do not belong truly to God. So, it is important as we read the text, we understand these are genealogical studies. And as you know from a uh, previous chapter, the study is selective. Uh, in the previous chapter, Moses concentrated on the seventh generation centering on Lamech, who was a violent murderer and bigamist. That in of itself is telling you that while he's in the genealogy of Adam and Eve, he is not a true son of God because he is a violent man who is a bigamist. Uh, his sons were industrialists and artists, um, musicians, but godless, without God. Uh, in this chapter, we are also going to look at the seventh generation in a man by the name of Enoch. Uh, in the first part of the chapter, we have an important illustration that God's true sons bear His image and likeness. Uh, as you know from Genesis chapter 1, we are the image bearers of God and uh, we are, as His image bearers, to bear that image wherever we go in life. Uh, and to uh, advance His kingdom as we bear that image. Uh, the sons of uh, Seth are the godly line of Adam, who live by faith. So, uh, Moses is leaving uh, the false sons and now dealing with true sons. Uh, and the sons of Adam, because they too are under the curse, are struggling with the effects of the curse. Uh, because of Genesis chapter 3, even the sons of God are under the curse. The sons of God get sick, get cancer, get in automobile accidents, on and on and on. Because we too are under the curse. But we, as true sons, are to walk by faith and are to bear His image. Uh, and we see the continuing effects of the curse in this chapter in the repeated phrase, and he died, used eight times. Reminder that death is a physical event, but it's also a moral event. The reason there is death is because the sin of Adam and Eve. The sons of God die too, but will not experience the second death. Uh, and that is extremely important. Uh, the importance of the spiritual sons of God. We're going to die physically, but we will not see the second death. What's the second death? 
Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection, who comes to Christ, if you will. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Great promise, if you will, of the gospel. Revelation 21.18, but for the cowardly and believing and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. So you cannot escape the first death, barring the coming of Christ, of course. We labor by believing and hoping in Christ to escape the second because it cannot ever be changed once you enter it. Importance of the gospel and the spiritual sons of God. Uh, we know throughout uh, chapter 5 that um, the true sons of God have faith because of Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. And to Seth, to him, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And these men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So throughout chapter 5, that's a governing text. These are men and women and boys and girls who call upon the name of the Lord. And why are they calling upon the Lord? They're calling upon the Lord for help because they live in a violent world of, of sons who are not the true sons of God and who are given over to violence and sexual perversion like the bigamist Lamed. We also know that they uh, begin to fill their culture. How do they fill their culture? Well, that's found in the repeated phrase that they had other sons and daughters. That too is used eight times. The phrase, and they died, and is used eight times. And the phrase, uh, they had other sons and daughters, is used eight times. Think about that for a moment. Think about it in terms of the perversions of our own culture. Uh, alternative lifestyle marriages cannot fill the world in which we live with the image of God because they cannot have other sons and daughters. It is physically impossible. And it's a hint from this text of the perversions of our culture that true sons follow the first marriage that God gave to Adam, Eve, his wife. And they had sons and daughters. The text reminding us of the importance of filling the world in which we live with sons and daughters who know the faith, who know the Savior, who can advance the faith because they know the Savior. And all of us as parents have that duty and that calling. Moses begins by recapitulating uh, the creation of Adam in the likeness and image of God. So the true sons of God bear forth and carry his likeness and image in the world in which they live. Verse 1. He created them male and female and blessed them. Think about it in terms of our culture. God blesses male and female. 
People who try to change what God has created them in terms of their identity are engaging in that which is an impossibility because God created them. And they are also moving outside of the blessing of God. And that is dangerous ground upon which to walk. And to Adam and Eve is born Seth. Notice the phrase, in his likeness and image. As Christians, as we go through this world, we are to bear the image of God. We're to be like him. Uh, the phrase means that even in the fall, we have a duty to represent God as his vice regents to exercise dominion and to reflect his glory. We do that in our conduct. We reflect the glory of God, the image of God. Uh, you and I know that the recovery of the curse begins in Christ. Uh, this phrase, uh, in the likeness and image of God, comes into great play in New Testament theology. Uh, we know from uh, the book of Romans, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8 uh, and verse 29, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about our likeness and image of God. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. When we come to Christ, God begins by his great spirit to conform us to the image of his firstborn son. So conformity to Christ is a calling of the church, a calling of the people of God, the source of blessing. The reverse, as you know, is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world. Think of our culture. Many trying to conform themselves to the world. That is not the calling of the true sons of God. The calling of the true sons of God is to bear the image and conformity of the firstborn who is Christ. Who is Christ. The beauty of it here is very subtle. The difference is seen in the number of years that the men of faith live in Genesis chapter 5. Very interesting that there's a listing of how long they lived. What's interesting about it is that that was not found at all in Genesis chapter 4. Because God blesses these men with long lives. Why does He bless them with long lives? Because of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, they begin to call upon the name of the Lord for help. That an essential definition of the true sons of God is that they call upon the Lord for help in the midst of their culture. In chapter 4, there is violence and murder. Chapter 5, there's long life. Now, I'm not telling you that because you're a Christian, you're going to live a long life. That I do not know. God certainly knows. But certainly, in Christ, there is long life. Because life in Him is eternal life. World without end. In verses 22 to 28, we have another great, beautiful illustration of the sons of God. That the true sons of God walk with Him. And the intensity here, like chapter 4, we looked at the seventh generation in Lamech. Here we look at the seventh generation in Enoch. 
Seven, as you know, is a very important number in the scriptures, speaks to uh, completion and fullness. So uh, Moses is giving to us here a selective genealogy. It's really a theological genealogy. And he's reminding us of what it means to be a true son of God. Namely, true sons and daughters walk with him. So Lamech's life in chapter 4 was governed by self-love and hatred. In chapter 5, Enoch walks with God. Let's read very quickly verses 22 to 24 of Genesis chapter 5. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. His name comes from the verb to train or to dedicate. Suggestive of how one begins to walk with God in a dangerous, perverse, violent world in which we live. Uh, we train ourselves in scriptures. We dedicate ourselves to God because of those dangers. In terms of synonyms, it's we call upon God every day to help us in our training and dedication to him. And he lives it for over 300 years. That's kind of a wow factor, isn't it? I struggle with 70-some years. This man lived it for over 300 years. He walked with God. In chapter 4, the men had civilization, industry, and music, but they did not have God. Today, we live in the most advanced civilization in history. We don't have God either. In fact, we are erasing him and effacing him from virtually every aspect of our culture to our own incredible shame and dishonor. And we are paying a high price. And I would remind you that even in the church of Jesus Christ, many, many Christians have a very low view of God. When the scriptures have an exalted high view of God, particularly the preeminence and majesty of Christ, the first son, the firstborn from the dead. The verb walk is used here in a spiritual sense, engaging the, the general conduct of a person's life. Implicit in the general conduct of a Christian's life is that he walks in the way of God. And he walks with the Word of God. You might say, well, Phil, there's no reference to the Word of God here. No, but there, we, we know from the text there's an implicit moral code by which they are walking. That God had been revealing himself in that moral code. And so we too walk with a moral code that has been written in Scripture. So we walk in the way of God with the Word of God according to that Word that reminds us not to turn to the right or to the left, but to stay in the way because there's safety in the way because that's where God is. 
the importance that true sons walk with God. With God. They bear His image. And part of that means walking with Him. In this context, it's faithful obedience to the call of God in the presence of evil. In Enoch's case, his cousins of chapter 4 are slipping and sliding away. Many in our culture, sad to say, are slipping and sliding away. And it's also a very important reminder that you and I are going to continue this spiritual genealogical study throughout the book of Genesis. And all of the men that we will focus upon walk by faith in the way of God, with God. Repetitive reminders that any other way is the way of profound spiritual danger that will ultimately embrace the second death. The text does not read that they walk perfectly because none of us walks perfectly because of the curse. Rather, they walked faithfully in the way of God, with God, and with His Word. It reads in such a way as to stress that Enoch's faith was not a momentary or passing affair. And all of his father's followers, pardon me, have faith that God will ultimately provide a Redeemer that will bruise the head of the serpent, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. In the midst of the curse, even the sons of God that have been cursed, they are prospectively looking that God will someday provide an ultimate Redeemer whom you and I know is Jesus Christ the only Redeemer of God's people. There's no other, only Him. Their faith was prospective and ours is retrospective. We look back to Him as our only Redeemer. And their faith was daily, ours is too. That we never graduate from living by faith. It's not a course you take and then you graduate. And go on to living your life as you self-define how you want to live. No, we walk by faith. We walk with God. Enoch did for over 300 years. Not a passing momentary fancy, but a way of life. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the text reads, not that he walked with God, but that he pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The author of the book of Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why it's important for you to recognize and hold fast to your heart that if you wish to walk with God all the days of your life, you, you walk to please Him by faith. And you cannot please Him apart from faith. You must trust Him as you walk in this perverse world. Faith is knowledge, conviction, and reliance upon God. That every day we must rely upon Him. That's a course that we never graduate from. We rely and depend upon Him each and every day of our lives. The antithesis is a life that pleases self apart from God. That's the way to ruin and the second death. 
What I'm trying to stress to you is worldliness did never, never got Enoch. He rejected it. He walked with God. There are many New Testament reminders of what it means to walk with God. Uh, simply turn to one book. Certainly there are numerous, but if you want to turn to uh, the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, there's a reminder of the creation. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has long before ordained that we should walk in them. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we begin a life that walks in the good works that he has ordained for us. Ephesians um, chapter 4, verse 1. Walk worthily of your calling. The calling is detailed in Ephesians chapter 1, 3. Now in chapter 4, uh, Paul tells us to walk worthily of our calling. Our calling came from eternity past. Our calling was efficacious and irresistible by virtue of the sovereign grace of our merciful God. And we're to walk worthily because he so creates us to walk worthily. I remind you, it doesn't say walk perfectly because that is gone because of the curse. But we can always recover in faith and repentance and walk worthily. In terms of the perversions of our current age, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and, and verse 2, walk in love. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us and offering a sacrifice to God in fragrant aroma. And then look at when you have a moment, the false love beginning in verse 3, immorality and impurity, and on and on. That's our culture. We do not wish to walk with that culture because it's not the way of God. It's apart from God. It's walking with the sinister forces of the devil himself. Then Moses says, and he was not, because God took him. Two major views on this. Um, I take kind of a minority view, but I'll explain to you the majority view, and you can sort it out uh, in your own conscience as to how you might understand this. I simply see it as a euphemism for death. He died and God took him. One of the reasons I do that, and I understand it can be taken... Uh, on the other side as well, that the context is genealogical and references death repeatedly. So it is simply a cryptic reference that he died. Um, we die as Christians, barring the coming of the Lord. I understand that. We die. And God comes and takes us to himself. Uh, turn with me, if you would, uh, Gospel of John. Very important that we understand a Christian theology of death. Uh, John chapter 5 and verse 20, 24. Uh, Truly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Believe upon Christ. You passed out of death into life. There is a transformation. Another picture of it is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. It's also a reference to walking here. Therefore, being uh, always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, and not by sight. The true sons of God walk by faith. They image God, and they walk with Him by faith. And we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Be pleasing to Him. That's how we walk. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment one of the sons of God dies, or the daughters of God dies, God comes and takes their soul and their spirit to be with the Lord. Phase two is the end time resurrection. But the resurrection has begun in Christ. Upon death, God comes for us and translates our spirit to heaven. I know all of us have uh, lost loved ones. We go to their funerals. Sometimes we go to the burial service. Uh, Our hope is to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. Be present with the Lord. The body of the deceased is put into the grave to await phase two of the resurrection. But their soul has gone to heaven. We do not face the second death because of Christ. The more popular view, the majority view, uh, is that God immediately took him to heaven. So Enoch never experienced physical death. Uh, The Greek translation of the Old Testament is very beautiful here. Uh, He was not because God translated him. Now, perhaps the scribes were influenced by the translation of Elijah in 2 Kings. You know the prophets come to Elijah and they say to him, do you know the way that the Lord will take away your master today? They're telling Elisha that God's going to come and take his master away from him. Uh, And then a chariot comes and Elijah went up to heaven. Elijah never died. He was translated. Uh, Enoch's very important to recognize that uh, the name Enoch, this man of whom we are studying, is in the genealogical records of our Savior in Luke chapter 3. You want to belong to the the, genea- the spiritual genealogy of our Savior, uh, will believe in Him, and uh, you are a part of the greatest uh, genealogical record of all time. Never to experience the second death. Okay. Hebrews uh, chapter 11. The record of 
Enoch. Verse 5, by faith. Notice, by faith. What does it mean that Enoch walked with God? He walked by faith. He depended upon the Lord. He trusted the Lord. His faith was in the Lord. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. That our life is to please the Lord. Part of what it means to walk with God is to please God. Reminded to us uh, contextually in Genesis chapter 5 is that God took Enoch to heaven, but not Lamech in Genesis chapter 4. Jude, second to the last book of the New Testament. Enoch's name is also mentioned. Verse 14. And about these also Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers finding fault, followers after their own lusts. Conform to the world, if you will. They speak arrogant, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Enoch was entirely different. He walked with God. He walked to please God. And he was not. For God took him. The reference to his witness. Notice that he's preaching judgment. He preached salvation in Christ and judgment outside of Christ. Our churches by and large have forgotten the theology of eternal judgment because it's not popular. But we do not walk to be popular with the world. We walk to please God. We preach both salvation and judgment. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. There is only hope in Him. We seek to please and to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Psalm 49.15 The psalmist says, But God will redeem my soul from Sheol, for He will receive me. If you will, he will take me. What a great promise of the man, woman, or boy, or girl of faith. When we die, he takes us. He does not abandon us. He does not forget us or forsake us. No. He takes us. I know that funerals can be very, very sad, particularly if it's an immediate family member. We uh, miss people profoundly. Um, but at some point, we should rejoice. For God takes those that are His who have walked with Him, who have lived to please Him, 
who have walked by faith to please the great God of Scripture. It's interesting, uh, in Psalm 49, 15, the literal reading is, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will take me. Remember that when you go to the funeral of someone you deeply love. Uh, They are not there. They're with the Lord. I love uh, the words of the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ. Uh, If you will, for me to live is to advance the message of Christ, uh, the image of Christ, uh, to bear His image in the Gospel. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What? Gain? How can death be gain? It's gained because the moment one of the sons of God dies, he goes to be with the Lord irrevocably and forever in heaven. Never ever to leave again. That, my friends, is something to believe and hope in. And to walk with. In verses 29 to 32, Genesis chapter 5, God's true sons rest in His provision. So we walk by faith. We walk uh, imaging. uh, And this is emphasized into one of Enoch's great-grandsons, Noah. Uh, We will begin to study the next couple of chapters. Uh, Genesis chapter 5 and verse 29. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Noah. There's a word play here that's profoundly important upon the verb rest because the consonants are the same. The vowels are different, but the consonants are the same. Reminding us that God gives rest It is the word that's used in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3. That God rested from all His work which God had created and made. As you know, He rested. Not because He was tired, but because He was finished. He finished the creation and was pleased with it. And I would remind you of something in terms of our culture. He created them, male and female. He, we cannot and should not and must not engage in trying to recreate what He has created. In Christ we have spiritual rest from religious works and the vain attempts to gain favor with God. Uh, You cannot work your way to heaven. Uh, Christ has done that. You believe in what He did for you. In many Christian religions in the culture in which we live, the priest will, when you have done something terrible, give you some works to do. I give you the work of Christ. He has done it. Rest in Him. There is rest in no one or anything else. Now, I would grant you that faith and repentance go together. Uh, you cannot depart from the way of God and live an unrepentant lifestyle. 
and say you belong to Him. But He has done the work. We rest in His spiritual work. And by resting spiritually in Him, we have eternal rest. In that sense, Noah is a type of Christ. His name is built upon the word rest. And we rest in Christ. There was an immediate hope that Noah was the promised coming one. I'm sad to tell you that Noah will engage in a terrible sin. Just as sometimes we do as Christians. But he still was a son of God. Again, we don't walk perfectly. We walk faithfully. Trusting, hoping, believing. And that includes repentance. And respecting Noah, the text reads, and this one shall give us rest or compassion and comfort. The Hebrew verb uh, compassion or comfort has two of the consonants that are found in the name Noah uh, that also are found uh, in the verb to rest. Reminder that when you rest in Christ, you have compassion and comfort. The great text of the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Why? Because of Christ. Very important uh, word for all of us in our daily living. Uh, Verb uh, comfort is uh, found in a very famous uh, psalm, Psalm 23 in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There is comfort in the knowledge of God because he has a rod and staff. He is armed and dangerous for those who seek to do harm to his spiritual sons and daughters. Compelling reason to live like Enoch. To walk with God. And to know that when our days ends, that God will take us to be with him because of Christ our Redeemer. So there are but two spiritual genealogies in life. Uh, Those who walk with God and those who walk without God. Two types of men and women, boys and girls. And two ends. One, the second death. The other, to life everlasting. And therefore, it's our desire to image Him. To be conformed to the image of Christ. And to walk with Him with a sure and certain hope that in His time, He will take us to be with Him.